for me to, whenever I get to witness baptism, it, I feel just as excited, the kind of same excitement I have when I go to any wedding. Married um, couples probably relate to me, but whenever I go to a wedding, my heart is once again stirred with my commitment to Daniela. And I mean, the last uh, wedding we went to, Daniela knows this. Afterwards, I was like repenting. And I was like, you know, I need to recommit uh, once again. <laughs> To, to loving you with all my heart and, and, and with, with a tender heart and meekness. And th- like these events have a way to spark once again that sort of commitment and, we, and that love that we had, right? And so when we see the, the people going in and coming out of the waters, we think about our own relationship with Christ, right? And we think about that, that commitment that we made with him and the commitment that he made with us. And we remember once again the significance of baptism. And so that's what I hope for us this morning is that we're reminded of the significance and the, and the sort of the specialness of baptism, but also what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Amen? So um, I do want to cover a couple of just sort of doctrinal questions. Uh, we're not going to deal with infant baptism or anything like that. Um, but... But first of all, I think there's a common question is, is baptism necessary? And uh, I think this is like such an evangelical question. Like, okay, it's in the Bible, but is it really necessary? Like, yes, it's necessary, right? Jesus commands it. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, you, you all know this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's necessary, right? And... Um, we're kind of taking a detour a little bit from our series on the book of Acts. But uh, interestingly, the book of Acts is where we actually see some of the uh, most urgent. There's actually 27 different times that baptism is mentioned uh, compared to uh, 29 times that prayer is mentioned and about 23, 24 times that the supernatural ministry or signs and wonders, you know, those angelic prison breaks, those are mentioned, right? And so we see that baptism is a critical part of the rhythm of the early church. Just like prayer, just like fasting, is just one of the, the rhythms that the early church had. And so we got to ask ourselves is that one of the rhythms that we have as a church today, right? And honestly, I don't really, it's not as much as it was in the book of Acts. And the question is, why not, right? But it's because in the book of Acts, the early church, one of the central pillars of the early church's experience was to see a mass harvest of salvation of souls. It was just a natural thing on the daily basis that we preach the gospel, signs and wonders follow, and then many are brought into the fold of God, right? And so one of the things with baptism is that today in the church, we need to once again bring that evangelistic spirit to the forefront in our church experience. You know, like church barbecues are great, like small group times, outings are great, but so is evangelism. We need to bring that back. And I believe that you know, as a word of encouragement, I do think that this is starting to bubble up in our community. Um, I was at the training that Nadia put on yesterday. It was so, so good. I wish there was a recording. Maybe there is. Um, yeah, so please check out the recording. The, the stuff on the prophetic was so good. And, uh, you know, so we need to keep walking out in that as a community and expect for a mass harvest of salvation of souls. Uh, and so baptism is necessary, okay? Um, I do want to clarify, like, that doesn't mean it's uh, necessarily necessary for salvation, okay? 
But don't think from that, oh, then I don't need to do it. No, you need to. It's a commandment of Jesus. So don't try to wiggle your way around it. Okay? And, and actually, uh, if this morning um, you haven't been baptized or you're a professing believer, I do encourage you to search your heart. You know, is it maybe a lack of teaching or is it, I don't know, like a lack of commitment or whatever it is, just ask the Lord. And, uh, you know, Pastor Daryl said, even, even today it's open. The baptismal pool is open to every professing believer that wants to. We will, we will immerse you in the water to new life, all right? Um, the second question I do want to kind of um, go over briefly um, is, is baptism just basically a symbol and kind of like this ritual? Or is there like a spiritual significance to it? Like, does it have spiritual power, right? And the different camps of the church, you know, will go one way or the other. And I'll just say we don't have to choose between one or the other, okay? It is a symbol. It does represent something, as we'll look at today. But it's also, uh, it also is a channel of God's grace. I think, like, as modern Christians, we sometimes have, a, like, an a issue with that. It's like we kind of think of it as a symbol, and, and that's it. And otherwise, it's like superstition. But, I mean, just like two examples, like if you think about weddings again, they're, they're God-ordained um, ordinances, but like it's carried out by humans. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing spiritual going on in the, in the spiritual realm, right? In the natural, it just looks like, you know, the pastor's officiating. But in the spiritual realm, the, man, the husband and the wife actually become one flesh, literally. I, I think people have a tr- trouble with that. They kind of think like, well, it's just like a metaphor. No, it's not a metaphor. It's, it's the two become one literally in the spiritual realm, even if we don't see it in the natural, right? Um, and uh, the other example I thought of was when the Israelites were, um, you know, sacrificing sheep. Like, it wasn't the sheep that was forgiving their sins, because we know that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, right? No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. But... The sheep were a God-ordained symbol of the ultimate Passover lamb to come, right? So in its being a symbol of Christ is that's where God decided and ordained that spiritual power would come through that symbol. So my encouragement today is when we look at this baptism, we don't just think of it as, oh, it's just kind of a ritual, like old-fashioned. No, there's something happening in the spiritual realm, even if we don't see it with our natural eyes, all right? Uh, so let's, let's dive into the Word today to, to get a grasp for what is the spiritual sort of significance of this. So Romans chapter 6, if you could turn there. Romans 6 verse 1. And uh, it is kind of a standard baptismal text. <clears throat> All right, Romans 6 verse 1 says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So what we see here, now baptism represents different things, but here we see that baptism is ultimately a burial, okay? It says that um, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism. So we're united with Christ in death, 
And so ultimately what baptism is, is that it's an invitation to die, <laughs> right? Which if you're getting baptized today, you're like, oh my gosh, what am I getting myself into? Um, this is a, it's a hard teaching, I think, uh, but it's very clear. It's also in Colossians 2, so it's not just this random text. It's Colossians 2, uh, it would be on the screen, Colossians 2.11. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And then it says in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism. Again, Colossians 2 verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him. So again, baptism is intrinsically tied to burial. We see that as the person goes under the water, they're being buried, right? And I think this is a hard teaching for many reasons, and we're going to get into this and unpack this, but when people are invited to faith, I'm thinking about something that J.C. Ryle wrote, and he was basically like, the church in America, and this is actually a while ago that he wrote this, but the church in America is so eager just to like try to get as many people through their doors as possible. Right? So they basically make it like, and some of us will have experienced that, like they'll make it as easy as possible to get in, whereas the Word of God says that the, the way is narrow, right? But they're just trying to make it as easy as possible so you don't get an honest picture of the call to the gospel. But instead, it's basically just, you know, I say this prayer and, you know, God's going to fulfill all my needs and I'm going to live a life of comfort. And that's the picture that we get. It's a get-out-of-hell-free card, so to speak, right? But instead, the truth of the matter is that the call to follow Jesus is and has always been a call to die. It's always been that way. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed since the time of Jesus, right? When, when Jesus had the crowds around him and they were, they were thinking about, oh, I want to follow you, Jesus didn't say, oh, yeah, pray this prayer. I'll take you all in, <laughs> Right? He said, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow him. It's a crucifixion. It's a death. Right? Something that I was reading about, um, some of the church fathers, they talk about Romans 6. And they make this crazy kind of uh, observation that you don't actually bury anyone when they're alive. Right? Like the burial only happens once that person, it's not like half dead, right? It's once that person is fully dead, then they're buried, and then they, and then they rise together with Christ, right? The call to baptism is to say publicly, to declare publicly that I have fully died. I have fully died with Christ, and I trust fully in Him that I will be raised with Him, right? Uh, and so, again, this is a difficult and kind of awkward um, thing to talk about, and um, there's, there's different reasons for this. Um, one, is, one is that we kind of, uh, as Christians in America, we do struggle with a sense of entitlement, right? Where we, we feel like we, we deserve comfort, where the kind of death that is required of us in the spirit meaning that we lay down our desires, we lay down our sin, it's like, but that's just, that's too difficult. I don't want to do that. Like, why does it have to be so difficult? But for me, at least, when I examine my heart, the root cause is that I have a sense of entitlement to comfort. Now, I do think some of us, 
including myself, this is a word for many of us, some of us, that we do need to uproot that sense of entitlement. And we need to say, you know what, yes, it's difficult, but this is the call that Christ has put before us. Now, why I actually say that is, as I was praying during worship, I did get the sense that today, like, discern for yourself what the Holy Spirit is telling you, okay? Because some of us really do need to uproot this sense of entitlement, but I also do want to cover some other things that I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. But um, we are going to sort of go through today and try to uproot this sort of sense of entitlement and like, I don't, I don't like this stuff about death and laying down my life. And we're going to try to like diagnose why that's happening, okay? And so I believe that um, there's three sort of reasons or three things that will really help us to embrace the call of Christ to die. Again, it is a very kind of foreign call for most of us, but, but I believe that today we're going to look at how we can sort of fully embrace the call to die. And so the first of these is that we need to recognize what we've died to, okay? Because if we just look at the death, we're like, oh, this is so miserable, like so depressing, until we realize what we have died to, until we realize what the death of Christ has set us free from, right? So in Romans 6, back to Romans 6, if you have it open, Romans 6 verse 5 says this, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection. So again, it's being united in Christ's death. So verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. This morning, if you are a professing baptized believer, we recognize that in dying with Christ, that we have been set free from the slavery that comes with sin. We have been set free from our old man. We have been set free from the desires of our flesh. And that's what we celebrate this morning. It's not just this kind of morose, morbid kind of death, but we're dying to our old selves here, right? And so all of the trauma that we experience, all of the hurt and the brokenness that we experience from being enslaved to sin at the cross that is completely done away with, Right? In Colossians, it talks about it's made a public spectacle of. And even if we think about the things that are going on uh, in the world today in terms of the wickedness that is increasing with just like the news of the mass shootings and world conflict and the ugliness of racism in America, that too, when we die to ourselves, we are being set free from that wickedness that has been with us since Adam and Eve, Right? When we don't recognize what we've been set free from in death, we, we go back to um, the Israelite mindset when they were set free from slavery in Egypt. Uh, if you remember this, I'll just read a quick quote. They're, they're complaining to God, and they say, Oh, <laughs> oh, with that we had died by the hand of the Lord. Like they were in slavery, right? Remember, they're getting beaten and they're, they're making bricks without hay. You remember all that, right? And they, they've been set free and now they're saying, oh, I, w- I wish we had died um, in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. 
right? For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger, right? What's going on here is that they don't remember their condition when they were in Egypt, right? There's, there's an absolute delusion that comes from offense and complaint, right? And why there's a delusion is that they did not have pots of meat, right? Like, they didn't have that luxury, right? But they're just making this up because they, in the, in the difficulty and the, and the spiritual dying in the desert, now they want to go back to former things. Right, And so we need to rid ourselves, again, this is a word for some of us today, is that we need to rid ourselves of this mentality of, oh, it'd be so much easier if I weren't a Christian. You know, it'd be so much easier if I could just indulge in the desires of my flesh. That's forgetting the slavery and the, the yoke of slavery. Paul talks about in Galatians, do not submit yourselves again to the yoke of slavery. Right? And I, again, I, I'm, I'm so passionate about this. this I, I war with this. Is Lord, release me from just continuing to submit to this yoke over and over and over again where I think, oh, if I just, you know, kind of relax a little bit or if I just kind of indulge a little bit, that will be so much easier. No, that's a de delusion, and the Lord will set us free and deliver us from that. Okay? I want to read Ephesians 2 because it gives us the full picture of what we've been set free from. This, this, this is the story. Basically, Ephesians 2 is the story of our baptism. This is what happened when we, when we first encountered the Lord by being um, immersed in the waters. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin. You were dead in the trespasses and sin. We, we have to remember that. We, we need to have that inexpressible and glorious joy of our salvation once again. We, and you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We were, we were once dead, friends. And the Lord in his great love and mercy delivered us. And he raised us up with him and seated us in heavenly places. And some of us, this is why baptism is grace, great. Some of us have been dulled to that reality. But my prayer for us is that we recognize where the Lord has brought us us from. So that's, the, that's sort of the first thing is in order to fully embrace the cross of Christ and being 
buried with him, we need to recognize what we have died to, where he has brought us from. But in Ephesians 2, we also see where he's bringing us to, right? We need to not only recognize what we have died to, but also what we are dying unto. It's, it's unto something. It's not just a death, right? But it's a death that leads to resurrection life. We have, this is all over scripture. I could, I could just choose a random chapter and it'll talk about this. I mean, Paul talks about this all the time. In Ephesians, we have been raised with Christ in the heavenly places, right? But how are we raised? First, we die. This is uh, something that Paul talks at length in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you could turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. And uh, um, I, I was preparing for my sermon, and I guess this verse, somehow Daniela also was come up, came upon it, and she was like, oh, yeah, this verse is so cool. And I was like, oh, that's in my sermon. And... Uh, she was like, yeah, this, this verse is so logical. Like, basically, you can't live unless you die. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true. Like, you'll see that the logic here is, like, not, like, it's, it's not overly complex, right? It's just, okay, let's read it. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, it says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless... It dies. And what you sow is not the body that it is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. Now, Paul here, it's kind of an interesting reaction. It's a, it sounds a little harsh. This, this hypothetical person is asking, like, okay, so how are the dead raised? What kind of body? And he's like, you foolish person. It's like, oh, my gosh. Like, I was just asking an earnest question. Like, I was just wondering a little bit. <laughs> it's a reasonable question. But... I think what, what Paul is responding to is the same spirit by which the Sadducees questioned Jesus when they asked him, okay, so there's this uh, man and a woman, and uh, they're married, and the, and the man dies, but then his brother gets married now, but then that brother dies, and then another, another brother gets married, but then that brother dies, so like, what's going to happen, right? And, and Jesus says, you have no understanding of the scriptures, right? Why? Because these questions like, oh, what kind of body will I have? Will I be old and wrinkly? Or will I be young and attractive? Or, you know, will my hair be white? Will I, like, these questions are coming from a carnal mind that have no understanding of the scriptures, right? What's happening is that Paul, I believe, is responding to sort of this attachment to our physical bodies. Like, I, I hear this kind of worry, like, wait, what, what kind of body will we have? But Paul says this. The first thing he says is, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So unless your carnal mind first dies, and unless you first lose an attachment to the physical realm, you will not be raised up to life. The, the logic is this. You need to first die in order to live. There's no other way. Jesus says this very, very clearly. Whoever would try to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will save it, right? It's the kingdom logic. 
But then he also says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 37. He says, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. So this person is basically worried about, you know, what kind of body will I have, whatever. And he's, he's saying, no, 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 no. You need to lift your eyes up to the heavenly reality because your body here on earth and, and what you sow can include, like our existences here on earth, it's just a bare kernel. It's just a dry seed. It's nothing in comparison with the tree that is to grow, with the wheat that is to bear fruit, as Jesus talks about. You know, it's like when you go to a gardening store and you pick up some seeds. Um, Danielle and I, uh, for a time, tried to pick up gardening. It was a total failure. Like, everything died. Okay. But, like, you get your packet of seeds, and, like, I, I was so surprised. Like, the seeds are so small, right? But it's like obsessing about the seed and forgetting about the plant that it produces. Like, to, to focus and be preoccupied with our lives, oh, Lord, I don't want to die. I want to hold on to the things that I have. I want to hold on to my sin. Like, that's basically holding on to, like, a grain of seed without wanting the fruit to be born from it, right? If you think about the, the purpose of a seed, uh, you, you don't buy seeds to just look at for decoration, right? The purpose of a seed is to be buried in the ground and die and bear fruit. In the same way, our purpose here on life, here on earth is to be buried in the ground and produce much fruit for the glory of the Lord. I, listen, I, I, it's, it's hard. It's hard to get our minds to elevate above this sort of like, oh, what are our bodies going to be like? Oh, in, in heaven, will there be sports? You know, like this kind of worldly thinking, right? It's hard to elevate our minds, but there's, there's a glory that's so much greater, right? First uh, Corinthians 15, verse 42, it's the same passage. It says, so it is like the seed with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised spiritually, right? And so what Paul is just trying to do is look at the distance between us and the heavenly realm, right? He says in 2 Corinthians, he says, um, um, I'm forgetting. Uh, um, for a light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> Amen. For a light, right, is, like the stuff that happens here is just a vapor in the wind. Like, it's like a grass, a flower that, that blossoms and then fades, right? It, it talks about in the Psalms and James and Isaiah, right? It, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, like the physical, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're passing away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There's just such a difference there, right? And so the second thing here is how do we embrace the cross of Christ? How do we embrace the call to die? is that we lift up our eyes and see the glory that awaits us. Colossians 3, uh, you probably all know this, Colossians 3 verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ. See, it's everywhere, right? It's, you die with Christ and then you're raised. But if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is 
seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. It's the same thing as what Michelle quoted for me before, right? Um, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We have died. Um, John Chrysostom says this. um, It's very similar. The present life is sweet and full of much pleasure. Not for everyone, although it is for those who are riveted to it. The moment anyone looks to heaven, however, and sees the beauty that is there, he will soon despise this life as if it counted for nothing. Right? What, what enable us to die to ourselves and to die to this world? Like Paul talks about, the world has been crucified to me and I to it. Right? It's what enables that is we lift up our eyes and we're pierced with heavenly beauty. Right? The majesty of the, the, the Son seated at the right hand of the Father. And so we need to move beyond our sort of sense of entitlement. Like difficulty is okay, right? And we need to move beyond sort of that, that Egypt mentality. Oh, I wish, I wish I weren't a Christian. I wish I were back in the land of Egypt. And we need to understand what we have died to and what we die unto. What we die to our sin and we die unto everlasting life with Jesus. But um, as we were um, worshiping, um, I don't know, I just felt like the Lord spoke something to me. And because if we leave it here, um, you know, there's a risk that we can just kind of focus on, yes, Lord, I will die for you, and kind of me, 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 right? But, you know, and I, and I try to communicate that it, it's, you can't go one way or the other, right? You can't just say, you know, it's just the Lord will do everything for me. But you also can't just be like, I need to die, you know, and just do it yourself by your own strength, right? And I don't know. My personality, like, Daniela knows this. Like, I'm very, like, severe. <laughs> and I'm very, like, loud and kind of aggressive. Um, but, you know, I just wish to, to convey just the tenderness of God that it, like when the seed is planted, the seed is not responsible for the resurrection, right? But instead, it's the tender gardener that waters the seed, and that's what makes it grow, right? And so just, just when I was worshiping, I just got some um, um, scripture passages where just about the tenderness of God's mercy, um, because the third way, I guess, to, to kind of embrace the call to die is that God is faithful to bring us through it into life. That God is so tender. And, uh, you know, I, I, I want to communicate this with the, with the heart of God, but um, the first thing that came to mind is, is Isaiah 43. Oh, man. Um, Isaiah 43, verse 1, it says, But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, he who formed you, right? So it's just this creator God. He, he knit us together in our mother's womb. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And though the, through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. So even as baptism represents a death, 
right? It's a passage through the waters. And what God promises to everyone, right, that he has called by name. He says, I have made you exactly as I want you. His promise to us this morning is, I'm going to lead you through the waters. I'm going to lead you through the fire of death and the suffering that you will encounter. See, when we begin to focus and obsess so much about how hard it is, we don't remember that it is the Lord's right hand that upholds us. He is faithful to bring us through because this death, this dying to self, it is difficult. I think some of us, like me, we just need to kind of suck it up and just, you know, like just, just get it together. But there are some of us this morning, and I just felt like the Lord was speaking this to us. Like, there's some of us this morning that, 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 are, in, that, are, in a hard, that are in a hard place. Between a, in a hard, what is the expression? Rock and a hard place, right? You know, there, there's some of us that are, you know, that have been wounded, that have battle scars in the walk to Jesus, in the walk with Jesus. And the promise today is, I will be with you there through it all, and I will walk Make sure that you walk through the waters and through the fire, right? Philippians 1, right? It is God, it is Jesus who brings the good work to completion, right? It's always been about the faithfulness of Jesus. And so when we look at baptism today, we celebrate and rejoice in Jesus' mercy to bring us from death to life. And the other scripture Psalm 131, I mean 139, a favorite of many. And I won't read the whole thing, but uh, Psalm 139, verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Right, so in our walk with Jesus, in the call to die, we, we literally actually descend into Sheol. Because Jesus was the first, the firstborn among many, who actually descended into hell and, and, and defeated death and, and was raised up to life, right? And what that's saying is when we're in, even in Sheol, even in the uttermost, even if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost depths of the sea, even when the waters cover me, even there the Lord is with us and the right hand of the Lord upholds us. And, and actually, to be honest, the verse that I actually got from this psalm, I don't know, it's, it's, it's verse 18, uh, it says, I awake and I'm still with you. I don't know, like, why that, I just felt like the tenderness of the Lord is like, when we sleep at night, even when we sleep, like, we have no control of waking up, but but I think David is saying, like, in the midst of his enemies pursuing him in all this danger, I wake up in the morning, I'm still, there you are with me, right? And at the end of our lives, when, when, we're, when, we're on our, when we're breathing our last breath, right, there's nothing, like the seed, there's nothing that we can do to control what happens next, right? We die, and then we awake, and I'm still with you. You have always been with me. 
Even through these baptismal waters, I am buried and I awake and I'm still with you. I'm still with you. And you're still with me and you're never going to let me go. And so as we celebrate our baptisms, uh, let's just remember what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's a call to die. It's a call to live. And it's a call to walk with Jesus all of our days. Amen? Let's pray and, and um, let's just prepare our hearts. Um, <laughs> Lord, uh, I'm just so excited for uh, just what is about to happen. And we know that uh, even as a, it, this is a symbol, but Lord, you are doing something in the spiritual realm, Lord. Even when we dedicate babies or even when we ordain people to ministry, there's something that you're doing. It's a mystery, but Lord, you, you will accomplish what your word says. And so, Lord God, I pray that as these people are baptized, Lord, that they would be truly, spiritually baptized into your death so that might truly rise again on the day that you return for us. And so, Lord, we just commend the rest of the service to you. We love you. Would there be much celebration and shouting for the God that leaves the 99 to come for that one sheep. If you came for just the one of us... Left the 99 to come to one of us, Lord. You will bring it to completion. So, Lord God, we worship you. We glorify you in Jesus' name. Yes, you can clap for sure. Thank you, John. Thank you. We can get some guys to move this table. Thank you, boys. Um, well, we're going to head into a time of, uh, where we're going to baptize those who have... Um, requested to be baptized. If, if, if you do want to be baptized, um, if you didn't come prepared, listen, I want to encourage you, don't fight that prompting. Just get dunked. I, I mean, we'll fill in the blanks afterwards, you know, of what you're going to do. But uh, I would say don't hesitate at all. Don't be reluctant. Um, at this time, if everyone that is going to be baptized, if, you can, if you're over here, just go around the back and line up right at the first row there and just hold still and um, we'll get this going. you want to just join me over here, anybody that's going to be baptized right here. Matthew and Will are going to assist us in this. Bob, why don't you be our first candidate? Come on up. Bob. Oh, Hannah. I'm sorry. Hannah, you're, you're going? Yeah, Hannah, come on up. Come on. Come on, Hannah. Come on. I'll take Hannah first. It's okay. Oh, Bella's coming. All right. Oh, she's going to dunk you. Okay, hold up. Bob, come on up. It's a little confusing. Come on up. Well, Bob, we wanted to um, open this time up as you uh, make this. You can face the audience if you would so they see you. This profession of faith in Christ, is there anything that you want to share in regards to the testimony that led you to this point? Oh, um, no, just truly blessed that uh, a few years ago, uh, an ambassador of Christ who's uh, came and uh, uh, awoke in my spirit and, um, you know, just uh, brought me to, uh, to Christ. And I'm truly blessed that uh, I've been called. Amen. 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 Could be a little warm in there. <laughs> 